Hello, and welcome to Clock Spinning, the podcast of Magic's history as told card by card. I'm Austin, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Connor. How are you today, Connor? I'm doing all right. I got my uh, my podcast glasses on, so I'm ready to, to look at 14 cards. So uh, today, Clock Spinning is going bananas. Bah! <laughs> we are talking about every card that has uh, one or more bananas in the art and or flavor text, and maybe oracle text and it's gonna take us on a pretty wild ride i'm really excited about this one i i gotta be honest i'm not entirely sure where where or why the bananas idea (laughs) exists but um there's some fun cards so i i've been pushing this one on you for about three months every time we talk about an upcoming episode i say is this the banana episode and and my response is kind of it could be but why (laughs) and i say i don't know i i just feel we need to do it so here we are it just it needs to be done we're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna cover every banana card, and um, uh, presumably you'll all like it. <laughs> I think they will. But before you turn this off, there are actually a lot of interesting cards in here. There are cards that all these cards have bananas, sort of incidentally in the art, with one or two exceptions. But we kind of cross the whole sweep of Magic's history here. We can see the evolution of the game in terms of power level, in terms of design. I think this is gonna be a good one. Yeah, the the cards are surprisingly varied and interesting and fun for using bananas as literally as our search criteria in Scryfall. <laughs> I don't think we've ever justified an episode this much. Should we should we dive in? Let's let's get into it. Our first banana, oh, and we're going in chronological order by the way. Our first banana is Early Harvest from Mirage. Early Harvest is 1GG for a instant. Target player untaps all basic lands they control. And the flavor text? Tonight we'll eat a farewell feast. Cold corn porridge is not enough. Let's peel papayas, pineapples, and mangoes, drink coconut milk, and bake bananas. Love song of night and day. Literally the last word in the flavor text. I know. All right, so I'm going to talk about each of... I don't know how you rated these, Connor, but I'm, I'm thinking of each of these cards on two axes. One axis is just as a magic card, and the other one is how much is it about bananas or how good is it at being about bananas? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's that's the right approach. Okay, yeah, I think it's a great criteria. Okay, so the card itself first. This is a card I'm surprised I've never seen. It's kind of like a green turnabout for one less mana and admittedly like way less flexibility because of course turnabout can hit artifacts critically. Uh, this only untaps basic lands. Turnabout is mostly played with like high tide or artifact shenanigans, at least in Vintage Cube. So there's a lot of things that make this not turnabout, but... I'm still kind of surprised that I've never seen basically a green turnabout show up like in any format ever. I had never heard of this, never seen it. And I was kind of surprised to see it appears in almost 5,000 EDH decks, which makes sense. It feels like a like a pretty solid effect for at least a, a mono green commander deck. But yeah, it's just never been on my radar. Oh, and in terms of where this shows up in EDH, I think the most notable deck is uh, Ave, a Progenitor Ooze, who's basically a mono green storm commander uh so there at least uh this can shine and storm in the way it seems like it, it should do this uh quote on the flavor text is really interesting it's from a, a poem called love song of night and day various quotes from this poem appear on 18 separate cards in mirage block uh, which is quite a lot 
Uh, and uh, the full poem is actually out there. And to be honest, I found it surprisingly moving. It feels vulnerable uh, on a podcast that I, I found this love poem moving, but it's this kind of mythological like love song back and forth between the gods of night and the gods of day, god of night and god of day. And I don't know, it's interesting, uh, cool little poem. The text immediately following this flavor text is, we'll dine on crocodiles, wild birds, and turtles, perhaps a hippopotamus, if only you can catch it first, uh, which I thought was funny. I, I really like this kind of flavor text. I feel like it it introduces a setting, uh, in this case, Jamura, right? In this really sensory kind of visceral way without being really on the nose or even kind of telling you what it's about, like what the story is or who any of the characters in it are, or, you know, whether it's it's an allegory or an actual story in the magic lore. I feel like some of the, the flavor text we've seen in the Kamigawa set reviews do this a little bit too, like the quotes from the great battles of Kamigawa or the history of Kamigawa kind of do do this this powerful world building with not very many words that tell you a lot about the world without saying anything directly about it. Yeah, I like that kind of flavor text too. It's the kind of thing that magic I think has lost a little bit of courage on. I don't entirely blame wizards, but flavor text nowadays tends to be I'd say pretty universally on the nose, but We'll see in this card, you know, like this kind of, as you say, more elliptical, indirect flavor text. And the next card, we'll see just like a terrible joke. Like they, they used to take a lot more risks with the italic text. Yeah, the, yeah. I was, I was like, I was looking at our next card's flavor text as I was saying <laughs> all these things about this flavor text. And it's it's quite a contrast. It could be more different. We'll, we'll get to that in just a sec. But uh, one more thing on Love Song and Night and Day is that they actually made a saga version uh, saga version of it in um, Dominary United, which I think is, is fun. I can't say the... Um, Saga to me, it all evokes the poem. It's just like white doing white things. It's honestly super, like a super boring saga, but it's cute that they at least acknowledged it. And it is a saga, a saga about a saga. That's cool. That's fun. Banana wise, this is a pretty rough start. I mean, the bananas are just in the flavor text. They're not in the art, even though there's an opportunity to put bananas in the art here. And honestly, the bananas, it kind of reads like a shopping list. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> I, I, I'd say on the banana score scale, this gets pretty low marks for me. It it is pretty bad. I, I like the shopping list. There, you got to get your papayas, your pineapples, mangoes, coconut milk. I'm not gonna lie. I spent about two minutes looking through this art to try to find the bananas <laughs> before realizing that they I, only I also, exist. I also struggled to find the bananas here. Yeah, it's like it's early harvest. It's in this kind of jungle setting. You there's a basket of fruit that I immediately assumed like there must be some bananas in or something. And then you realize it's just the last word in the quote from the flavor text. But I actually, mm -hmm. I do like this art quite a bit. It's really kind of simple and understated in a way that not a lot of magic cards are these days. Like you were saying, you know, a lot of flavor text now is pretty on the nose. I feel like a lot of the art is too. There's not a whole lot of subtlety. And I feel like this could just as easily kind of appear in like an illustrated storybook set in our own world as on a trading card. And it just feels like you just don't really see that anymore. No, I, it's a great call out. The mood here is, is really interesting, right? It's a very calm, kind of peaceful, like, I don't know, like romantic. I don't mean in like a like romance sense, but in like a kind of like a romanticized view, I guess, of life in the jungle or something. It's just a really like peaceful, beautiful image. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very technically well executed. It's very painterly, you know, in a way that modern magic cards are. But like at a technical level, it's actually really good. Uh, all right. So, Connor, what does all that add up to on the classic S to F YouTuber scale for you? Um, I think early harvest lands at a B for me. It's not knocking it out of the park, especially with the complete lack of bananas in the art. But mm -hmm. I, I like it. It's it's an interesting card. 
I had it as C and I feel like that's a little harsh. I'm not, we're not required to agree here, but I'm going to come up to B as well. It's a unique effect. It's nice art. It's got nice flavor text. I'll be at one that could do more to spotlight the bananas. Pretty good. I, I appreciate your uh, non-obligatory agreement with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> one, one other note before we move on, we're going to talk a lot about the art in this episode. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, there will be a link in the show notes to go uh, view a list of all these cards on Scryfall. Or you can watch it on YouTube. Uh, and in our newest generation of YouTube technology, Connor, we're going to throw up an image of the art next to the image of the card. So really exciting stuff. If you haven't seen it before, wow. And th- there is a fun game to play on most of the rest of these cards of Find the Banana because it's usually not easy, Connor. <laughs> it really isn't. And uh, Austin showed me some uh, some previews of what the new videos are going to look like. And it's pretty cool. You get a nice full view of the art. Okay, let's move on to card number two, Gorilla Titan. Three GG for a 4-4 Ape with Trample. And Gorilla Titan gets plus four, plus four, as long as there are no cards in your graveyard. And the flavor text, which is very important in this case, I want a banana this big. <laughs> I, love, I love it. <sighs> so this this is an, an iconic card to me in, in ways where... I, I'm not sure if this is true for most of the magic community, but this this flavor text especially and the way that it pairs with the art in such an unsubtle, uh, like <laughs> obviously jokey, almost mocking the art kind of way uh, is just it's so iconic to me. The art. Yeah, I, I feel like we should start with the flavor text here before getting to the art or the card or anything else. So uh, the only, uh, you don't need to look, the only banana in this art is the banana that is not in his arms that he wants. The giant invisible banana that this gorilla titan is asking for, which is hilarious. Um, there's a lot of great stuff from Mark Rosewater about this over the years because he wrote this flavor text, and I think has a soft spot for it. Uh, one of the many tidbit of the many tidbits about it. One of my favorites is they did customer research on Odyssey Block, which is what this card comes from. Um, and Watsy found in those surveys that this appeared in both the five most popular flavor texts in the blocks block and the five least popular uh flavor text <laughs> in the block which i think is wonderful it is very divisive but I, I personally think it's hilarious in a really cheesy way yeah i i can't even after all the thought that i've given to this card i can't decide whether i actually like the, the flavor text or not like i i can't i can't really fully dislike it because it's just it's such a like dad joke kind of flavor text that you can't <laughs> you can't like good. be mad at it yeah it's like yeah. it's like sub dad <laughs> joke and it it just I don't know. It it has to be. I, I feel like I have to feel good about it. It just makes me smile, even if I'm sort of cringing while I do it. Yeah, this was part of a short thing where I think Mark Rosewater and the design team were writing the flavor text because I don't know, Watsy had some kind of dispute and they basically lost the whole creative team. And I, I, somewhere in one of his columns, Mark Rosewater talks about that he basically put an image of this card up and said, I need flavor text. Everyone write on the whiteboard. You know, I'm just going to leave this up, write on the whiteboard your suggestions. Uh, but in the end, he liked his suggestion better than anyone else's, which is, is very Morrow. Um, but, you know, I, I think this is a good example of where a lot of times in art, it's better to be, uh, maybe it's a stretch, Connor, to call this flavor text art. But um, this is a good, <laughs> good example of why sometimes it's better to be polarizing than to try to please everyone. Like, if this card's flavor text was some generic magic flavor text, like, I don't know, as the Marari's influence spread, Carplusen gorillas discovered a taste for flesh beyond fruit. That's pretty good. Thank you. I thought, I thought so too. That could totally be on this card, but no one would remember this card, right? Other than this corny flavor text, this card is just a, you know, a, a green limited, like pretty solid curve filler. But this goofy flavor text makes it very memorable. I have to say the Gorilla Titan is, is 
almost unique in more ways than one. So I was thinking this, this no cards in your graveyard effect uh, is seemed kind of weird. Like it's not something I felt like I've seen very often. It feels especially strange in Odyssey, which was a set uh, that introduced the threshold mechanic, which cares about you having seven or more cards in your graveyard. So Gorilla Titan's like an anti-threshold card. So I did some searching and it seems like there are only two cards in the entire game that care about you having no cards in your graveyard. Wow. The other one is called Immortal Coil. It's from Shards of Alara. Um, and it uh, basically causes, it lets you do fun things with your graveyard, uh, but causes you to lose instantly when, when there are no cards left in it. Wow. That's fascinating. I feel like that must be because this condition is actually really difficult to turn on. Like, it feels like this could be a real beater in, in limited, but how often are you really getting to, you know, turn five, turn six with nothing in your graveyard at all? And if you have a way to clear things out of your graveyard, um, are, like, are you really wanting to use it on your own graveyard? Yeah, is that like worth a card? Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, one one other thing is your opponent can kind of mess with this, right? They just have to kill something to to turn it back off again. Be good with like scavenging ooze or something. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is the card that makes scavenging ooze good. To be clear, no, this but... is what breaks scavenging ooze. <laughs> Before we move on to rating this card, Connor, I feel like we have to talk about the art because it's it. The fact that he's uh, holding a giant invisible banana is not the only really weird thing about this art. Yeah. So the the very first thing that jumps out to me, and and maybe to you, dear listener, as you're looking at it on YouTube right now, is this gorilla has a gigantic tail, uh, which <laughs> gorillas do not have. They don't have any tail, in fact. No, and uh, this one seems to have like basically a an even bigger tiger tail, <laughs> like it's kind of striped and uh, prehensile. Is that the word for a, a tail you can move around like that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the Titan's using it to sort of balance uh, balance itself on a branch um, and also using very large claws on its not very gorilla-like feet <laughs> to clamp onto a branch. <laughs> so it's it's a weird one. It's like it clearly a gorilla. It's right in the name, but just a few things are a little bit off. Honestly, the only thing that's gorilla-ish about this is its face. Yeah, <laughs> and I guess sort of well, no, not even the pose. I don't think gorillas really do this. I'm not seeing any in my cursory searching of Google images. Like crying out for a banana? I mean, I think they. I think all these gorillas in the Google images want bananas, but they're just not indicating it in this way. I do want to highlight one uh, gatherer comment. If you go to gatherer, you know, on some older cards like this, I don't know what the cutoff is, but you can find comments uh, just from you know, random people on the internet talking about old cards uh, with ratings and, and their thoughts on them. Pretty much every card is, or pretty much every comment about this card is, you know, joking about the banana that the gorilla wants and uh, what the subtext of banana might be there. Um, <laughs> but there's one comment that just says, nice relation between the art and the flavor text. And I just like <laughs> that, that completely flat, like observation about the first thing that everyone notices about this card and the, the only thing that anyone else is saying about it. Just nice relation. I love I love those older gatherer comments because you get a lot of that. You, you know, nowadays everyone's so plugged. I mean, we're at the extreme, right? But everyone's so plugged in that, you know, like Reddit and Twitter and YouTube, right. like even a casual Magic player, I feel like has like way more knowledge than someone, many people in 2007 or whatever who were enfranchised enough to comment on gatherer. And so you get all these wonderful little weird gatherer comments where someone just has no idea what they're talking about or they're not in on the joke or yeah i like that it's fun yeah you can sort of you you see them realizing it for the first time when 
<laughs> like people have been looking at this Titan for years. Yeah, more innocent time. So where do you land on the uh, Gorilla Titan here? Uh, so this is, I, I'm not actually sure. I genuinely do not remember why I decided to do this banana episode, but I feel like Gorilla Titan was part of it. If I think of bananas and magic, this is one of the first two cards we I think of. So for me, this is this is an S tier. I'm going to call him an S. Okay. I mean, we we have talked about this flavor text before in other contexts <laughs> as like <laughs> the example of the end of some kind of spectrum of flavor text. I feel like I can't give this an S in good conscience because gorillas don't have tiger tails or claws uh, or some of the other things going on here. Uh-huh. And if you're going to if you're going to call yourself a gorilla, you you know, you got to show up as a gorilla. No tails. So it's an A for me. Fair enough. All right, next up, let's talk about Dutiful Return, the cons of Tarkir printing. Dutiful Return, three and a B for a sorcery. Return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. And the flavor text, we have a word for enemies too mutilated for military service. Furniture, Tigom, Sidisi's hand. Ugh. So uh, my first note on this is, art-wise, this is low-key one of the most horrifying magic cards of all time. Maybe the most horrifying for me. There's just something about this like eternal mutilated, like imprisoned life that is genuinely really disturbing to me. It is chilling. It's really disturbing. It's well executed, but I, I'm not sure I can say that I like it exactly. Yeah, I, I'm i torn on this art. So Seb McKinnon, the artist, um, he has a lot of really cool pieces. Like there's a very distinctive style that he has uh, that's sort of ethereal like kind of spooky fae uh esque pieces of art some of it's like downright horrific uh he has actually a good number of pieces that are sort of in the the style of like peter bruegel the elder like these old dutch master pieces um some really cool stuff uh he's done a version of damnation that i just absolutely love this one i i actually i like the creepiness to it the art itself though isn't really getting there for me i can't say why okay well while we talk about while you contemplate why perhaps do you want to clue the listener into where the banana is in this art if anyone hasn't found it yet yeah it might take a little bit of cluing in so this um this enemy that's uh too mutilated for military service um has been uh split split into two uh pieces of furniture i guess um a top and a bottom and the uh top piece of this uh, lovely matching set um, has a, a bowl on the head of, of the mutilated enemy. And in that bowl is a, a lovely assortment of fruit. And one of those fruits is a banana. And I think there's one on the torso half too. I think I, think I see a laying down banana okay. here. Yeah, you might be right there. I'm going to talk about this more as we go through here, but I don't understand where bananas are sourced from in the multiverses of Magic the Gathering. So in our world... Bananas are a global, globally popular fruit, uh, and the reason is because they travel better than almost any other fruit, and so you can grow them in the tropics, where they grow well, and then you could store them in the right conditions, and they'll travel green for months, so you can stick them on ships, and that's why bananas are so popular. They got popular in the late 19th century. All these American fruit companies set up big operations in Central America. They then committed some coups. That's where the term banana republic comes from, so bananas have this global provenance, but Crucially, this whole thing depends on some kind of commercial connection between tropical regions and other regions. So this is a very roundabout way of saying, I don't know much about the geography and climate of Tarkir, not as much as I'd like to know, Connor, but 
my impression is that it's based on Central Asia and therefore that it's kind of mountainous and pretty seasonal. And so I don't think you could grow a banana there. And I want to know, therefore, why there are so many bananas in Tarkir. Because we have a run of three cards here, Tarkir-themed cards that all have bananas in them. Well, that that just shows the uh, the wealth and power of uh, whatever. Are they clans? Are they called clans? Yeah, let's go with clans. <laughs> let's not expose that we know more about banana sourcing than we do about the world of Tarkir. <laughs> well, well, this this shows the wealth and power of um, Tygam's clan uh, mm-hmm. or Sadisi's clan, maybe <laughs> to to be able to procure these bananas from. Uh, uh, the furthest reaches of wherever they get them from. <laughs> yeah, interestingly, all three cards with bananas are Sultai. So I guess the Sultai just have a lock on the there banana production in Tarkir. And maybe they've invented some kind of like magical cold storage that enables long distance transportation of fruit. Refrigeration is a big part of uh, the storyline of Tarkir, as I understand it. <laughs> yeah, that's what the dragons wanted. Uh, they wanted to. They wanted access to the refrigeration technology the mortals were hoarding for themselves. They needed to control it. Um, okay, so we're spending a lot of time on uh, not really the core card here, and I think the reason is that the core card is terrible. So there's basically 15 or so of this effect ever printed. I'll link a search for anyone who wants to see. Meaning there are 15 other, 14 other cards that return two exactly two creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. This might be the worst of all 15 of these cards, which is saying something because a lot of them like soul stair expedition and macabre waltz are not great cards, but this card just is just terrible. It's just four to do two. There's plenty of this for three, like morbid plunder is exactly this for one BB, but then wander in death from Amonkhet can get you this for two and a B and tax cycling for two on there. Blood fountain, of course, in recent standard, does this for kind of like an installment plan. Like this, this card is just, is a dog. It's really bad. Yeah. It's funny how it's just like objectively worse than this and uh, March of the Returned, which is like the Theros, the identical Theros version. Uh, They're just like absolutely worse than every other version of this effect. It's also funny that they felt a need to have like two identical, almost identical effect and nearly identically named in March of the Returned and Dutiful Return. (laughs) They're both they're both return themed. What's what's that about? Yeah, why not just why not just give them all the same name? I I don't get it. Well, I guess okay. I guess March of the Returned that came first, right? And I think right. the Returned are like a specific part of the Theros plotline. Hmm. If Watsi had just had the foresight to to call that card Dutiful Return, then we wouldn't be in this predicament. Holy cow! You're right. I had no idea about Theros, but you're right. There's a bunch of Returned. Hmm. Or they could have just not printed this card in, in Tarkir, and I don't think anyone would have. No one would have mourned it, except the art. The art's pretty solid. Yeah. Okay. So uh, rating-wise, for me, this is like, I give it a generous D. Um, and frankly, that's all on the strength of Seth McKinnon's art, because the card itself, from a play perspective, is terrible. Um, but the art here is bad and scary in a good way. The flavor text like supports and enhances that horror. The banana quotient here is pretty low. So I don't know, to me, that adds up to a D. It's not at the bottom, but it's close. I think D is exactly right. It's pretty great art in its own way. Seth McKinnon's pretty great. Uh, and um, we may be seeing more of uh, this dutifully returning chap uh, very soon. Okay, next up, a probably more iconic card for most people. Tassigur, the Golden Fang. 
Tassigur is five and a B for a four five legendary human shaman with delve. Um, and you can pay two and a hybrid green and a blue. I don't actually know how to how to say that in, in I think like we should read it as way. just Simic. Two Simic Simic. I don't know. Two hybrid Simic Simic. So four mana. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mill the top two cards of your library, then return a non-land card of an opponent's choice from your graveyard to your hand. After much struggling, Tassigur's an awesome card. I'm on the record as being not a huge fan of your opponent chooses something or other cards in general, both in terms of play patterns and power level, but I, I think it really works here. Tassigur feels interesting in in multiple ways you're rewarded for having a large graveyard when you cast it with delve uh you're rewarded for having uh, a deep graveyard in in one way in the sense that there's a lot of different things you can get back but punished in another way uh in that you have kind of less control over what your opponent chooses to give you so really interesting cool card yeah this is one of my all-time favorite cube cards maybe just one of my all-time favorite magic cards oh one of the things I really like about Tassiger is he can flex to a lot of different power levels. Like he's rarely busted, um, but he's also rarely irrelevant. He And he also grinds, but in a kind of old school fair way. Like this isn't a kind of questing beast, like do it all for free or worse yet. Like uh, what's his name? Kogla, you know, the big old, the big old ape who ironically is not in this episode. Like mm-hmm. Tasker asks you to put some work in. But then in exchange, he, he pays you he pays you off in terms of having a solid body for the mana cost, having a solid, reasonable effect that lets you kind of grind out wins. He does exactly what you need to in terms of a soul tie card. Like, I just really, really like Tassiger. It's one of my all-time favorite cards. Yeah. I, I also really appreciate that he uh, can work very well in EDH and is is pretty popular there, but is not doesn't feel like made for it the way that, you know, so many cards like obviously are literally made for commander but it's it's much more subtle here you know you you have the the color identity kind of sorted out with having sultai mana across his mana value and uh in the activated ability uh it has you know that this ability can play in interesting ways with green and with black and with blue to some extent getting a lot of instants and sorceries in there so i i like that there's there's these hints of of different color identities and different kinds of decks you could put together with Tassigur uh, at the front, but it's not just like slapping you in the face with, oh, here's what you're supposed to do with this as your commander. He's uh, definitely a cube all-star, but maybe not a superstar in the way he used to be. Uh, right now he's played in about 10,000 cubes on C- Cube Cobra, which is oh. essentially 10% of the total that's a lot it's actually down dramatically though uh in 2019 according to cube cobra's historical stats which honestly i don't know how trustworthy those those are but let's assume they're trustworthy uh tassiger was played in a whopping 35 percent of all cubes just uh Whoa. three or four years ago so heavily played but a lot less than he used to be as uh, which i think illustrates the like pretty remarkable power creep of the last uh four years that this kind of all-star like longtime cube staple has been power crept out that dramatically in just four years. I have been kind of uh, struggling with whether Tassigur should go in, in my cube. I'm still in a, a very long process of, of sort of putting it together. And I have a, like, you know, a big maybe list and, and thinking about what different archetypes might be. And Tassigur is sort of just hovering at the edges all the time of like not not quite lining up with exactly what I'm envisioning, but also doing cool stuff and like not being really above on power level but also you know potentially having times when he's a six mana four five and like 
yeah, I'm I'm a little torn about him. Oh, he's never a six man of four or five unless you're really doing something wrong in life. Well, if you're if you're going with the Gorilla Titan build, then <laughs> Tassigar is gonna struggle. <laughs> um speaking of uh doing something wrong in life, Tassiger uh, did a lot of wrong things uh in his life. Uh according to uh the wikia about the lore, uh he's a bad chap. Uh, you'll see he has a giant bullwhip here, and apparently he really likes uh, whipping people. And he also likes to kill people's relatives uh, and then have their zombify them and have their zombified relatives attack and terrify their living relatives, uh, which I think That's is kind of bad. Cool. Not cool. And he was uh, the one to betray the cons to the dragons, uh, causing the much cooler cons to lose out to the less cool dragons. So just all around, kind of a jerk. The good news is he kind of gets what he deserves because there's a wonderful little subtle art touch where Silumgar, the leader, dragon leader of the Sultai after the dragons took over, uh, is wearing a mummified corpse around his very blingy gold necklace. And that corpse is the corpse of Tassigur, which I think is an amazing uh, little bit of art and world building. And there's a fun article on the Watsi mothership about how that came to be. It was actually the artist's idea. Uh, and I highly recommend reading that if you're uh, uh, into magic lore. Because uh, it's a fun to read. I'm so glad you found that because it that that kind of callback makes me really happy. Though I am I am saddened that Silumgar doesn't seem to share the appreciation for bananas that Tassigur had. Finally, let's turn to the bananas here. So Connor, you alluded to it. This this is the same banana guy, right? He he has dutifully returned again to <laughs> carry bananas and it looks like grapes and maybe a cherry tomato and a pear. Yeah, I think maybe a pear over to Tassigur. Mm-hmm. So really, really a champion, really, um, you know, showing up and showing some unwilling loyalty to the Sultai. Uh, I give the bananas here much higher marks than in his previous appearance uh, for a bunch of reasons. Uh, one, they're much more prominently placed. This is one of the rare cards we're going to talk about where you don't need a jeweler's loop to find the banana. Uh, and they're beautifully lit. Like actually this whole scene card, like not joking, has incredible lighting. Uh, like I love the way Tassiger's face is kind of hidden in shadows uh, and then his kind of disturbingly pale body and limbs are like lit by some bright light source from above. Uh, and then the bananas also are caught in this same ray of light. And so it's a, it's beautiful on a technical level and it's beautiful for how it uh, features the bananas. You can really see them here. They really pop against a kind of monochrome background and against the very monochrome rendering of the doodleful return guy. Yeah, there's a subtlety to it, right? You're not immediately like, oh, the guy from the other thing. Like, you actually <laughs> it's have to look our at buddy it. from that iconic <laughs> card. What does that all add up to? Oh, pff, this is an easy S tier for me, Connor. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I think Tassigur is an S. Awesome effect, awesome card, beautiful bananas. All right, let's go to the last of our Tarkir banana cards. Kra Shadiki. The Usurper. I haven't had to say that one out loud as much as Tassigur. I, I think you nailed it. All right, thanks. Ikra Shadiki is a legendary Naga wizard for 3BG, and she is a 3-7 with Menace. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you gain life equal to that creature's toughness, and she has Partner. And the flavor text? Now the Scaled Ones rule Tarkir. Okay, so a little bit, a uh, lot going on there, but basically five mana, three, seven menace. Creatures gain life according to their toughness when they hurt players, and she's got partner. 
This is a confusing card to me. It's like a toughness matters commander, but not in the way you're normally used to. She's kind of playing with toughness in a different way. She's like a life gain matters, toughness matters, combat commander, which sounds weird, but she actually commands a lot of decks uh, on EDH rec as a partner, thousands and thousands of decks. Um, some of the most notable pairings uh, are Timna the Weaver, who also like likes you to deal combat damage to your opponent and helps you draw cards that way. Bruce Tarl Burish Herder, uh, who's a uh, uh, just boosts a single attacker each turn with uh, double strike and lifelink. And then my personal favorite pairing, Prava of the Steel Legion, who gives creature tokens you control plus one plus four, which just sounds honestly kind of amazing to me, like an Obzon tokens deck where the tokens all have big butts and are gaining lots of life. Like I'm not even that into commander, but I really want to play that deck. That sounds like a lot of fun. It does sound fun. And I, I know you're going to hate this um, where I'm oh about boy. to go with this idea, but all, all of these abilities, the, the gaining massive amounts of life, having creature tokens with big butts. I think that all adds up to a uh, Bilbo Baggins based commander deck. Oh, which Bilbo? Bilbo and Bilbo in the 99, the, the Bilbo that wants you to get to 111 life. Oh, Bilbo birthday celebrate. Okay, that's actually awesome. <laughs> Pull out every creature in your deck. That that's a great payoff to be working to with all this life gain. You know, we may have found the set of cards that are gonna get me to build a new paper commander deck for the first time in five years. That sounds amazing. I, I thought I was gonna make you mad with uh, Bilbo being Abzan. No, it's just the whole thing's so ludicrous that I gotta do it. I, I'm okay with Bilbo. What, because he has black in his color identity? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, you've talked about your feelings with the uh, color pie and the Lord of the Rings set. No, it's true. But if you'll permit me a detour from our hyper-focused banana episode, please. I, I think, I think Bilbo having black makes sense to me because, you know, he's corrupted by the ring. It's pretty well established, right? By Lord of the Rings that, mm-hmm. you know, at least until he surrenders the ring to Frodo, it's really distorting his thinking in ways he's not totally aware of. So I'll, I'll allow that. Okay. Well, let's, let's allow him into this toughness matters life game. <laughs> deck that you're going to build <laughs> all right sounds good ikra is also very popular in commander cubes as well she shows up in uh about 2000 cubes in total on cube cobra um i don't know what percent of commander cubes i couldn't find a quick way to get those stats but uh that makes total sense to me um this would be a really cool card in a commander cube i think because it adds this interesting dimension to drafting without requiring you to like kind of put in a ton of support cards that only support ikra like she cares about big creatures she cares about toughness she cares about life gain like she cares about all these things that a lot of other commanders in her colors and adjacent colors already care about so she seems like a really fun uh inclusion in any commander cube now austin what i think she does not care about as much as tasigur is bananas because they're much harder to see they're hard to see she's not really looking at them or giving them any attention our buddy who's still here faithfully bearing his bananas in the same spot <laughs> he has not moved oh is it the same throne as tassiger oh that's Doesn't so it look good like it could be i mean his position in the bottom right corner like he's still there honestly that's amazing but he looks a little worse for wear here doesn't he <laughs> you know he's uh he's kind of been coming apart uh things yeah. have been Things have been messy on Tarkir, I assume, from my my <laughs> deep knowledge of the the storyline. And he's, you know, he's kind of like coming apart at the seams. So I'm not sure I ever would have eaten a banana off the top of this guy's head. But by the time we get to Ikra, I definitely don't want any of these bananas. And it kind of looks like she doesn't either. Like she seems pretty disinterested in this guy and the fruit and all the work he's done over the years for the clan. Just seems totally disinterested. Almost scornful. Put some respect on these bananas. 
I agree. She's got kind of a scornful egotist uh, relationship to this banana guy. You know, I, I have to say, I think I would be more inclined to eat the bananas off of his head now than earlier. If you look at Dutiful Return, it they're very fresh, but so is he. And I think I would find that to be a to be a barrier to my enjoyment of the bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Though actually, they, they look pretty good in Tassigur, and he looks pretty uh, stony already there. So maybe that's the, the sweet spot. You know, these were printed sequentially in the order we've read them. Like, that's another incredible layer to the storytelling is this guy does get gradually more kind of zombie lich-like as the printings go on. Yeah, no blood here anymore. What a saga. It's it's going to be kind of painful to to move off of Tarkir. I know, this is our last Tarkir card and our last uh, banana carrier man. I hope he gets a call back soon. I hope so. I'm honestly shocked uh, we were able to stay on Tarkir this long with bananas being the only... Unifying theme. <laughs> so, so what's the rating, Connor? I feel like I'm I'm at about a B with Ikra. She's not, you know, a outstanding, super memorable card like Tassigur for me, but she's, you know, doing some cool stuff, and and I have to respect the dutiful returner. Yeah, I'm gonna give this about a B as well. Honestly, more on the card. I feel like as a banana card, this is like pretty low. It's it's getting really gross. I, I can barely see the bananas, but I think it still adds up to a B. We'll miss him. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're switching planes here as we move into 2017 with our banana review. This is Liliana Death's Majesty. 3BB for a 5 loyalty planeswalker. And I think this is the first planeswalker we've maybe ever talked about on the show. <laughs> is, that, is that true? I think that's true. What kind of Magic the Gathering show are we running, Connor? <laughs> One that is stuck in the past. We've talked about like 325 cards. We've been we've been talking about Kamigawa. There were no planeswalkers back then. <laughs> but now we have one. Our first planeswalker, and it's a it's a great one to start start things off with. So Liliana, uh five mana, five loyalty planeswalker. Her plus one ability is create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. Middle of the top two cards of your library. Her minus three is return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. That creature is a black zombie in addition to its other colors and types. And then for minus seven, you can destroy all non-zombie creatures. So this is the third most popular Liliana for cube. I There are so many of her that I just, I had to know where this Liliana, which is one of my favorites, I had to know where this fits into the hierarchy. And she's number three, so that's pretty good. Creating zombies is cool. Reanimating things as zombies is also pretty cool. Uh, wrathing everything but zombies is even cooler. So I'm I'm a fan. You know, actually, before uh, we actually talk about this thing, I just want to let you know that we've talked about 525 magic cards on this show before getting to our first Planeswalker. <laughs> it's it's all been building building <laughs> up to this. Anyway, I, I, this is a funny one. I don't know why, but this card has always left me cold. Even though I like Liliana, she's one of my favorite planeswalkers. I love Amonkhet. I love that there are bananas here. But something about this card is just not that compelling to me. I think it's that it's five mana, which is a lot. It's a lot of mana. When I think of the other like iconic five and six mana planeswalkers, a lot of them are just like stupidly uh, showy and disruptive. Like I think of like, I don't know, the Liliana, what is she? Dreadhorde general. You know, the one like whenever a creature you control dies, draw a card, minus four, double edict, minus nine, like your opponent basically wipes their board. I don't know. Like I like this, but I can't say I love it. It's this card's like fine for me. 
I, that's kind of what I like about it. I, I feel like this is a, a relatively modest planeswalker in a way that many of them are not now. And I, I, I kind of like that better. Like the, her, her minus three, there are a lot of five mana black spells that reanimate something like at, at that place on the mana curve. And Liliana can do that and also make it a zombie. Yeah, and the repeatable reanimation is is pretty cool, and it's fun and flavorful that they become zombies, especially yeah. for Tarki or Amonkhet. Uh, I I like that the the ultimate, if you will, is actually within reach and is not really game breaking. Like you can get there in a couple turns, and um, you know, probably still set yourself up pretty well, but not in a way that just ends the game. Where like if your opponent doesn't have an answer, then the planeswalker might as well just say, you know, six mana, you win. I, f- I find this more interesting. I feel like the loyalty abilities here kind of come together in a way that like matches the name, matches this sort of badass concept of her being this master of the undead. Uh, it's all zombie themed. So I, I like it. All right. You know what, Connor? I'm repenting. I think you're right and I'm wrong. I think okay. this is actually cool. And I might, I'm going to buy one right now. Okay. <laughs> Order it up. Part of the reason I know you're probably right is that uh, this is uh, played a, in a ton of EDH decks at 34,000, which is a lot. Uh, and it's played in about 10,000 cubes as well. So again, about 10% of all cubes. Like our our buddy uh, Tassiger, this has dropped in play rate quite a bit over the years from about 20% four years ago to 10% today. But that's still pretty solid for a five mana Planeswalker that, as you say, does not end the game. It just does fair things fairly well. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's that's where I want my planeswalkers to be. That's that's my kind of magic. Oh, a couple I have a couple thoughts on the art here, Connor. So thought one is Chris Rollis's fabric game here is blowing my mind. Like all the folds and drapery going on with Lily's outfit, the like iridescent purple that's shining through in both the direct light and the indirect light. Pretty incredible. The draping gold cloth on her throne, the leather cushions, the fabric cushions. The cloth on the on the mummies. Chris is just showing off here. This cloth is is awesome. Yeah, she looks like a major baller. As you say, her outfit is super cool. Like she's got this really purple dress. She's got these crazy black boots. I will say this does not seem like a very practical outfit for the desert. And that one fan bearer behind her is not going to keep up with that desert heat. <laughs> Maybe there she's just surrounded by other fan bearers just outside of frame and it's just in a, a whirlwind of of uh mummies <laughs> fanning her that's gross and gets me to the one thing banana wise about this art so the banana is once again being born by an undead servitor servitor just off to her left i don't know for me i find the mixing of fresh fruit and dead people kind of gross connor and unappetizing i don't know about you I, I'm starting, I feel like I'm starting to form a pretty strong and distressing association between bananas and the undead. <laughs> <laughs> and undead carrying those bananas. Um, but looking at this art really made me wonder if you had a mummy that just existed solely for the purpose of carrying around a food item <laughs> for you, for your convenience, what would that food item be? Oh, you can't just spring that on me. Take some time. We uh, we could play some. Do you have an music. answer? Do you have an answer prepared? You know what? Actually, before either of us say, if you're on YouTube, please c- comment with what your mummy uh, food bearer would carry around in a tray for you. We want to know. Yeah, uh, a circular tray uh, about twice the diameter of the mummy's head. Okay, so what what would your mummy uh, mummy waiter be carrying? I think I would probably have the mummy carry monkey bread. <laughs> Oh, oh God! Why? <laughs> Which, uh, you know, it, I I feel like I'd I'd always want that. 
you know, I'd, I'd always want to just like pull off a piece of that monkey bread, and <laughs> just snack on it the way Liliana is doing here. So I'm torn on the one hand, like in terms of what do I want to eat? If I could have a mummy that carries around like uh, tortilla chips and fresh guacamole, that'd be great. <laughs> okay. I can respect that. But, uh, you know, also maybe having a mummy that carries fresh fruit wouldn't be so bad, you know, because it's like I want a snack. Oh, rather than walk to the kitchen, let me just eat. Let me look at this mummy that's kneeling next to my desk mm-hmm. and just grab some fruit. And I so, think I'd get healthier. Say, what do you got here? Maybe maybe the mummy could carry one of those uh, like plastic vegetable trays that you'd get at whatever your equivalent of Kroger is with like a ranch mm-hmm. dip in the middle. You got some celery, mm-hmm. some carrot sticks. No, I'm not. No, that's just gross. <laughs> it's healthy, though. <laughs> is it? Uh, anyway. Okay. So what have we learned here, Connor? We've learned that Chris could do some incredible fabric. We've learned that this card, and in general, that having a banana plus undead in your art seems to be pretty good for your like cube and EDH playability. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've learned that you were right and I was wrong about this card being a great mid-range cube all-star. Yep, that's important. What's that add up to rating-wise? I'm going to follow you because my rating is too low and I don't even want to say it out loud. I think it's got to be at least an A. All right, let's give it an A. All right. Okay, let's go on to our first red card to contain a banana, Infuriate. Infuriate is a single red for an instant from M20, and it says target creature gets plus three, plus two until end of turn. And the flavor text, no shirt, no shoes, no service. Marketplace sign. Okay, so having read that flavor text out loud for the first time, I now want to downgrade this card even further from where I had it, because that... That is an example of some really lazy flavor text, Connor. That's that's not a joke. That's not even a banana this big joke. You know what? Actually, the flavor text should have been on this, and I'm not kidding. I want a banana this big. Oh, he's he is doing it. <laughs> he's doing the he's doing the big banana hands. <laughs> he wants now, that it. would have been great. So this is basically red, like not giant growth, but not not giant growth. Uh I feel like Watsy may have thought, did that make sense, Connor? Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I feel like Watsy may have thought that this card would have longer legs than it did because somehow in addition to this, this got two separate uh, mystical archive arts, which seems like totally undeserved and unearned. Um, And this is sort of quietly vanished after appearing in like three or four sets kind of all in a row. It's just kind of disappeared after appearing in M20, Theros Beyond Death and Mystical Archive. It's just it's dropped off the radar, at least for now. And as a card to me, this is just a card, Connor. I don't think anyone probably loves this or has it in their top 50 or 100 or 200 magic cards but it's like a limited combat trick and it's fine it certainly is a card the japanese mystical archive art is actually pretty dope and it's like 25 cents so i guess if you just want a cool card to look at which i kind of do (laughs) at this point uh you could pick that up on the cheat that is super dope there i mean there's no bananas but it's really cool it's cool look at that like phoenix feeding out of her hand that's cool yeah, and very cheap. The flavor text here for me, it's its like a descendant of Gorilla Titan uh, with even less kind of thought and effort. The Theros flavor text, um, which I'll read in a second here, kind of feels like the uh, the wonderful example that you created for Gorilla Titan of just like meaningless, uh, emotionless flavor text that leaves no impression with you. Just like words, words from the, the set. Yeah, the Theros flavor text is Renata launched a dozen arrows into the Minotaur's thick hide, but the monster didn't slow its charge. The fury of Mogus was upon it. Lufia of Setessa histories. No one's no one's gonna remember that. No one cares about Infuriate enough to 
care about this minotaur that has a bunch of arrows in it. So I prefer, at least in, in a core set, I prefer no shirt, no shoes, no service to that. I do prefer that. Now, what is, is the joke there that he's mad because he was told he can't be in the market because he's not wearing a shirt? Is that the joke? <sighs> I think it must be. It's interesting. We're really going deep on this thing, but it's interesting too that both this and Theros Beyond Death get minotaurs. Yeah, the I guess that Theros was a callback to this minotaur. Honestly, Connor, I don't want to cut us off, but we're running long, and I feel like we're we're giving this more than it deserves. Should we talk about the bananas here? Let's just move on. Okay, real quick, bananas. Um, they're hard to see, but there's actually a surprising number. I counted seven bananas in total, wow. which is I think the most bananas of any card we're going to talk about. So that's something. But you know what? After all that, this is just like a D. For me, I just can't, I don't love this card. I, I barely like it, but yeah. I can't, it's not, it's not terrible. It's not like an utter failure. It's just a card. I'm just glad there's no dead people in this one. <laughs> I feel like that's helping me to rebuild a healthy relationship with bananas. <laughs> is this is this episode just going to turn you off bananas forever? It, it, it might do. But yeah, this feels like a D. Okay, we have another another first on the show here in the form of a token. <laughs> I'm excited. This is great. We have a, a food token. You know what food does. Uh, this is a food from Throne of Eldraine depicting uh, not only two bananas, two very special bananas, uh, but two, I'm going to hazard a guess that they're sort of pears, possibly oranges, two halves of a pomegranate, and a... Uh, glowing apple but yeah it's it's a food token with some very fun fruit yeah it's super fun fruit uh these are like uh, our first fantasy bananas i don't believe earth has any analog to these cool crazy bananas they're they're kind of like um i guess we should describe them just a little bit but hopefully you are you know looking at these at the same time but they're they're basically like curly fry bananas <laughs> that's that's exactly what they are they are literally just curly fried bananas which sounds pretty great so I'm a little, I, I love this art. For me, somehow they're a little disturbing. Like there's, they're weird enough that somehow it's like, I think it's triggering that part of our brain that evolves to, you know, look for things that are anomalous and therefore not safe to eat. And I think that part of my brain's looking at these and going like, don't eat that. That's, <laughs> don't that's eat, Eldritch. There's, there's too much banana here and it's too twisty. Yeah, a hundred percent. But I, I love this piece. It's really beautiful. Uh, it's really well done on a technical level. It's fun. It's got the fantasy element with the curly bananas and the golden apple. And then some ordinary fruit with the pomegranates. The artist here, Randy Galagos, has done 204 pieces of magic, stretching all the way back into Ice Age. And then 12 cards just in the most recent Lord of the Rings set. So he's covered almost the entire history of the game. This is one of two food tokens he's done. He also did the food token for Lord of the Rings. And that food token is like the most appetizing food token in the game. So hats off uh, for that one. I think that's great. Nailing the food. Looking at this really makes me wonder though like why why don't we see more of this this kind of food in art in magic like we have all these different like worlds. appetizing food but no like unusual uh corkscrew bananas and things like that like mm. all these worlds are populated by these incredible creatures and characters and beings and filled with these incredibly imaginative places but everyone is apparently just kind of eating the same stuff that we would get at whole foods so like where where are the corkscrew bananas that's interesting. But now you say it, I don't think that's even a phenomena confined to magic. I feel like in general, in fantasy and sci-fi, you basically see earth food. Yeah. So there's just something about it that humans that makes it hard to conceive of totally new foods. 
Maybe some of it's that it's kind of hard to convey visually. I don't. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it doesn't. It doesn't read as food. Or right. If you it's don't... too weird, then it doesn't necessarily look like food. If it's too ordinary, it's just like a. It's just a haunt. You know, like meat, for example. It just looks like meat. Yeah. If you make it blue, then it's just gross. Hmm. Well, I I think we'll we'll maybe get into this a little more with a uh, a card we talk about later in the episode. Yeah, I, I feel like there could be a little more food creativity. Uh, yeah. To me. This is a, this is an easy uh, an a, easy A. It's not quite an S because it's not even a magic card. But as a banana, I mean, if we were just rating on banana, this is an S. This is this is pretty fun. I mean, I think we are kind of just rating on banana here because this is a food token. <laughs> it's not like we're gonna rate it on power level or. Okay, you know what? This is gonna be an S. This is an S for me. Okay, you talk me up. What about you? I, it's actually an A for me still. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like the art, but yeah, it's uh, it's just some fruit. Let's move back to real magic cards here with Galia of the Endless Dance from Theros Beyond Death. Galia is an R and a G for a 2-2 legendary satyr. She has haste. Other satyrs you control get plus one, plus one, and have haste. And whenever you attack with three or more creatures, you may discard a card at random. If you do, draw two cards. And the flavor text, there's no success like excess. I really like this card on many, many levels. Uh, the thing I think I love most about it is the art here. Uh, this is a piece by uh, Johannes Voss. He's actually got a nice little write-up on his ArtStation account where he talks a little bit about um, the creation of it and what it looked like uh, and what the uh, illustr- or the uh, art director's description was. And then he also shares like some sketches and some really uh, fine close-ups on the art, which let me see, which let you see just how like funny this piece actually is. Like the foreground scene is funny. Um, but what's really funny is the faces on the background figures, which are really over the top and goofy in a way you don't really see on magic art. And they're honestly just hilarious. Uh, and I love them. I also love that this uh, card like mechanically captures satyrs very well. Like you're acting in haste. Things aren't quite under your control. You want like a whole group of people to get in there and attack. So you have a real party. Um, there's a lot of like change and growth and chaos in this card. And all that to me, like, captures what satyrs are in Greek mythology, which is these kind of engines of chaos. It's interesting how they play a little bit with like the traditional role of satyrs who are um, party animals, but also um, there's no way around this. They're a little bit rapey in uh, Greek mythology. And mm-hmm. so uh, I think by flipping the uh, um, the sex of the main character here, they can nod at what satyrs are like without it being quite so creepy. So I don't know, all around, I just love this card. I think it's really, really fun. Yeah, I love the... The, everything about this just like screams kind of excess and exuberance, right? Like the the haste, giving your whole squad of satyrs haste, the the chaos of discarding at random and drawing two more cards if you pay that price. Uh, and the art, as you mentioned, is uh, kind of truly insane as you <laughs> as you look closely at it. Like the the facial expressions of some of these satyrs in the background are uh, almost almost terrifying <laughs> in how like how completely deranged they look uh, especially the one who's actually holding the banana just off the uh um just off of uh Galia's left shoulder uh really quite an expression on uh this lady <laughs> <laughs> pretty it's it's a hard banana to find and it's uh kind of scary when you do find it yeah so she's uh she's holding somebody else like by the hair 
like seemingly <laughs> kind of pulling them up off the ground. Uh, she has this like utterly deranged laugh and it's just like, I don't know. I don't know where that banana's going, but I don't want to find out. <laughs> I, I'm a little concerned. <laughs> But these uh there's there's some great close-ups, like you mentioned, on the art station page. And even the like satyrs playing the instruments in the background, they have this sort of like manic like that <laughs> they don't they don't even really look happy. They look like almost almost possessed. Uh definitely possessed. The the best one is the kind of guy on the far left who's playing the trumpet, and he's yep. just playing the heck out of this trumpet. Yeah. It's amazing. The eyebrows, it's, it's good stuff. Okay, so that's the art, that's the playability, and the banana. Like, I don't know. For me, I'm I'm not gonna bury the lead. You can you can talk about this card more, but for me, this is just like an easy S tier. This might be my this is like competing with Tassiger, you know, in the surprisingly cool episode of surprisingly cool cards. This is competing with Tassiger for me is like I love the art, I love the effect, I love the type of play it encourages. Um, I just I really like this card on on every level. Wow. I might, I have it in an A. I might have to come up to an S. The one thing I'll say is if you, not that this is, you know, a bad thing or I like, not that I think this says anything about the skill of the artist, but it's a very digital piece as you look at it closely. It is, unfortunately. It is the brush, the brush stroke. It's very, it's funny because it's very brush strokey, but it, it's also very digital. Yeah, they're, they're very digital brush strokes. I'm sure done by hand, but, you know, like uh, very obviously in, uh, you know, procreate type program. Which, you know, isn't a bad thing. And I don't I don't feel like it really shows as you're just looking at the card from the distance you would normally look at a card from. But it's it's a little bit little bit emergent breaking for me. I'll accept it. Okay. Uh this next one I think is very digital. Um we have Letter of Acceptance. Uh this is a three mana artifact. You can tap it to add one mana of any color. You can pay two and tap it and sacrifice it to draw a card. And the flavor text says, The letter unfolded, inviting the twins to Strixhaven. Will saw a chance for arcane study. Rowan saw a chance for power. Um, to me, this is basically like a, a boring, worse commander's sphere, uh, like Harry Potter edition. It's kind of like the, the bare minimum baseline for a manolith that you would actually consider running. And it looks like about 8,000 decks on EDH rec do run this. I, I guess just as a... a basically worse commander sphere um but there's just nothing much to get excited about here no no there's really not so this is like a harry potter like a really on the nose harry potter reference Mm -hmm. in a set that i think already feels a little too on the nose harry potter i like harry potter personally but just like strixhaven for me doesn't move me because it's like too much just literally harry potter in magic Yep. Like we couldn't get the rights to Harry Potter, but we wanted to make a Harry Potter set is how Strixhaven feels to me. And then the mechanics here are just like a manolith with a clue stapled to it. And just, I don't know, none of that really. There we go. Yes. None of that moves me, Connor. I, I think the owl shaped letter, I guess, is kind of a cute idea. I'll, I'll give some props for that. But then once you like start looking at this art more closely, the whole thing has a real like blender or maya 3d look to it mm-hmm. like all the surfaces in this are perfectly smooth and free of literally any imperfection there's lots of reflections going on but again in a way that doesn't feel like a human artist would be able to create it the bowl behind the thing is like i don't know it looks like something you get at target like i meaning, <laughs> it meaning it's, it's so narrow and so perfectly radius that again it's not so, like something a human would like nothing about this looks fantasy apart from the vowels and this letter is going to will and rowan who are from 
I believe, Eldraine. So they live in a magical world. They don't live in the world of Target, but you wouldn't, and West Elm, but you wouldn't know it from this art. This is this art is just like an owl letter on a West Elm table. Yeah, it's a, it's a paper source owl letter on a West Elm table <laughs> with yes. accessories yes. by Target. It's also the kind of the least banana-ish card that we've seen. Like if someone told me to identify every object in this art just from looking at it, I don't think I would have identified a banana. <laughs> if you know that you're looking for it, you can look in the bowl and see that there's something in there that could be a banana. But to me, it looks more like maybe a long potato or like a pale pickle. That it or does. a papaya or a yam, maybe. Yeah, like it's not a banana. Well, so I mean, all the the banana art, like we're going on the um, the Scryfall tags. And by the way, bless you to all the people out there who tag things on Scryfall. You're amazing because yes. um, you enable incredible content like this. <laughs> Is that really a banana? It's just like a ra- a long yellow object. It's just a banana by association because this is a fruit bowl. And right. So it's probably a banana. Yeah, there's one grape in there. So that is most likely to be a a banana. Is that a grape? I was wondering, what is that purple thing? It's too big for a grape. It's like a single, very large grape. Now it feels a little bit AI, seeing one grape. It it does. It feels a little AI, a little bit blender. I'm I'm sorry to the artist, but this just... Ugh, this is a stink, bit of a stinker, to be honest. It's not a hit. This is is just an F for me. Yeah, this is an F for me, too. There's nothing about this card or this art or this banana that I like. Okay, let's talk about a a more lovable card here. The Underworld Cookbook from Modern Horizons 2. The Underworld Cookbook is one for an artifact. Tap, discard a card, create a food token. Four, tap, sack the Underworld Cookbook. Return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Ah, I love this card. I love that uh, Watsi brought this plus... uh, Asmorano. I'm not going to try to say her whole name. Say Say the whole thing. You say the whole thing. Asmorano Marda Kadaistina Koldakar. That's pretty good, Connor. That's pretty good. Got it in one. Um, Yeah. Uh, I love that uh, Watsi did this tribute to this uh, flavor text. So for anyone who doesn't know, this is maybe one of the original flavor text memes in Magic. This uh, reference to the Underworld Cookbook originally appears on Granite Gargoyle all the way back in Alpha. So this is as old as it gets in terms of magic references. And I love that Watsi brought it to life, brought it to life in a way that feels like an underworld cookbook, like it makes food um, and it brings back things from the dead, which sounds about like what an evil cookbook would be. Like, I just think this is a really fun card. I'm a big fan of this one too. I was surprised to see that it's, its popularity on Cube Cobra has actually slowly been creeping up since this was printed in 2021. And it now appears in just over 2% of cubes. And I can't I can't quite figure that out. I was thinking maybe it's because food is kind of becoming more relevant with Lord of the Rings and with Eldraine coming back later this year, but like I, I can't really figure out exactly where the Underworld cookbook might fit in a cube. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think some of that may be just that it's it's got it turns a lot of different knobs and it lets the player turn a lot of knobs, right? It plays mm-hmm. with discard, it plays with tokens, it plays with like recursion, it's cheap. So I feel like it just interacts with a lot of things that cubes tend to do anyway, right? Cubes tend to like cheap artifacts. They tend to like discard effects. They tend to like things that turn resources into other resources. So I feel like some of it is just that this is a cheap card that intersects with a lot of other different mechanics in subtle, complex ways. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I wonder if some of that popularity is that Caleb Gannon, the vintage cube uh, drafter on YouTube, um, runs this in his own powered synergy cube alongside Asmodoranga. And some of that may be just inspired by him too. Don't know. This uh, this does actually see some use in modern, which I love. It it appears among 
you know, among other places, I'm sure, in reanimator decks. Um, I think largely is a way to get things like Emrakul into your graveyard to reanimate because it's, you know, just one mana to play this and tap it to well, discard get anything out of your, in your graveyard. But oh, other you, things you might reanimate. Yeah, other things you might reanimate <laughs> that are not Emrakul <laughs> being in your graveyard. So banana quotient wise, this card is weird. I, I liked the banana at first glance, but the more I look at it, it's it's pretty grody. Um, it's very dark brown. But then more importantly, it's kind of melty in a way that is like kind of AI-ish, to be honest with you. Well, actually, I guess there's two bananas, but they're still sort of lumpy and dark brown. I suppose the exposure to the extreme volcanic heat in the background might be might be taking a toll on these things. I love the the juxtaposition here, though, of like this volcano and hellish underworld. <laughs> and then like maybe some kind of pile of bodies in the background, maybe. <laughs> I don't even know what that is on the left. I know, and I, I kind of I don't want to look more closely at it. Uh, and then you just have a banana <laughs> next to the cookbook. Oh, I yeah. just I just left this here while I was uh, cooking up a gargoyle. Uh, what a fun card! So where does that leave us with the underworld cookbook? So I was a B, but I think I'm going to go up to an A. I'm feeling generous today. Um, I, I can tell you're going up on a lot of these. I just feel like a lot of these cards, ignoring the banana meme thing, are just. They're just fun cards, Connor. Like they do interesting, unique. Like there's a surprising number of interesting, unique cards in this episode, and this this is one of them. Like it's a fun engine card for Cube. It does things in modern. It can even do a little bit in EDH. It's a reference to some iconic alpha flavor text. Like I don't know what's not to like here, and it's got a banana. So I'm gonna say A. The the bananas are really um, doing a lot of work tonight. <sighs> it feels like a B to me, but I don't have any principled reason for that. So we'll we'll call it an A. Okay, next up we have Whir of Invention. X-U-U-U is a mana cost. It's an instant with Improvise, which means that your artifacts artifacts can help cast a spell, and each artifact you tap after you're done activating mana abilities pays for one mana. Uh, and then you can search your library for an artifact card with mana value X or less, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. So this lets you uh, tutor up any artifacts and use the artifacts you have to help cast a spell, which is pretty cool. This is run in a pretty staggering 54,000 decks on EDH rec, which is 4% of all decks. Does not really seem to see any play anywhere else, though. I don't know. This card and the art here leave me a little bit cold. This art is from the uh, Secret Lair Drop for the 1980s D&D cartoon. And I, I think at least once an episode, Connor, I say something that could potentially offend like 40% of the audience. Hit us with it. I got to say, I, I have never liked the aesthetic of the D&D cartoon or indeed any other so-called classic 80s animation, like whether it's Transformers or He-Man or whatever. I just I just at a visceral aesthetic level dislike it. But but I do have to hand it here to Tyler Walpole um, because I think this piece like evokes the style of the series and of that animation while making it much more pretty and pleasant to look at. It's actually a pretty fun piece. So hats off to Tyler for that one. That's quite an accomplishment to make me uh, think this is a good piece of art. I will back you up. I'm not a big, big fan of this either. I kind of, when I first looked at it, I didn't recognize it as being, you know, associated with the the D&D 80s cartoon. My gut reaction was, I don't, I don't like this. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not what I want to be seeing on a magic card. I'm sure if I had been around in the 80s to see the D&D TV show or or He-Man or anything else that was around then, I probably would have had quite a soft spot for this art and this card, but I wasn't, so I don't. It just kind of 
leaves me cold, like you said. I, I appreciate that Watsy put like a widely played EDH card in here instead of some forgettable card just to like m- uh, milk some money out of the fans of the show. But I'm not sure that this art really feels like a war of invention to me. It's it's basically just magic hat. It doesn't feel like artifacts are helping you innovate and develop new technology. Like I'm I'm a big fan of the original Kaladesh art, which is this over the top like arc of is it Kaladesh or is it Aether Revolt? Sorry, Aether Revolt art, which is like this invention of a new terrifying dreadnought ship or something, which I think is super cool. So I don't know, this this art to me is like it's all right as a piece of art, but I'm not sure it really works for as a war of invention. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a bit of an awkward pairing between the secret layer art and the card itself. Uh, banana wise, the bananas here are pretty clear, like they're nice and visible, though they're a little bit occluded by this cute little tiny dragon on the right. So I'd say banana wise, like the banana, the bananas here are kind of like the bananas in early harvest. They're they're just part of a, a bunch of other things. They don't stand out as a central element of the art. Honestly, in terms of centrality, I'm not sure we've had anything beat Tassiger. Like Tassiger's art is those bananas really sing. I'm not sure we're going to we've hit those highs anywhere else so far. Yeah, they're they're just kind of kind of there. With uh, many other things that I guess uh, signify invention, I'm I'm at about a D on on this printing. I think also just a just a straight D for me. All right, all right. Let's jump on to jumpstart here with Kibo Oktabi Prince. Buckle up, we got a lot of text coming here. Kibo is two and a G for a two two legendary monkey noble. Tap. Each player creates a colorless artifact token named Banana. With tap, sacrifice this artifact, add red or G, you gain two life. Whenever an artifact an opponent controls is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control that's an ape or a monkey. Whenever Kibo attacks, defending player sacrifices an artifact. <sighs> Believe it or not, Connor, that's it. That's all the rules text. Oh, we're, we're done? Yeah, we're done already. I really hate this card. I feel bad <laughs> saying that because this card literally makes bananas. And like 20% of the art of this card is a banana. This is the Ur Banana card, Austin. This is a super banana-y card. But I, I just don't like it. The main thing I don't like about it is it's absolutely loaded with text, which is a real pet peeve of mine. I, I don't like this, you know, increasing trend in magic of just loading up cards with text. And also all of this text to me just feels disjointed and it never quite adds up to me. Like, I guess the idea here is that like Kibo gives everyone bananas and then your monkeys steal the bananas back and they get bigger because they've gotten bananas and that made them happy i don't like i don't know the whole thing here is just like too goofy too baroque it's like it's a card built around a banana joke which is kind of fun but for me it's it's a banana joke that doesn't quite work like this card just feels it feels like tortured it feels like it's trying way too hard yeah there's there's so much text and it doesn't really it doesn't click the way that i like liliana death's majesty that we looked at earlier does where you have you have a lot of effects, but they feel like thematically they work together. They make sense. You can see how they sort of build upon each other to accomplish something. And Kibo, it, it you have all these separate abilities that are maybe trying to do something interesting on their own, but they don't they don't like come together and tell the story in a way that makes sense to me. Like why is each why is like every player in the game getting a banana? And then what does like them losing an artifact which may or may not actually be the banana what does that have to do with getting plus one plus one counters on my apes or monkeys and then the way that like his his tap ability kind of conflicts with his attack trigger 
where like you need to tap yes. to create the banana, but you want to be attacking with it to force the artifact sacrifice to get plus one plus one counters on your apes and monkeys like it just doesn't feel like it comes together and also i think is just kind of like bad like i don't think all these words even add up to a an overpowered card the way that a lot of cards with a lot of words on them do like i don't think kibo's good yes you're so right it's just very kludgy to me one thing about this is it's clearly built around the banana joke which is which is cute but if this created just treasures instead you would save a whole bunch of words and you could start to kind of simplify and shave this, I think, until it started to make a little more... Like, there's no real reason this has to make bananas or give your opponent bananas, except that they thought it was funny, which is which is cute. But it doesn't... These could just be treasure-stealing monkeys. And I think that, like, I guess prioritizing the joke here or the gimmick over the play of, like, the mechanical elegance of the card, like, this goes way too far for me on that. The most irksome part to me about the the rules text here is that the, the banana creates red or green mana purely I, I so kibo can have gruel color identity yes. instead of pure green yes only only so that kibo can be a, a gruel commander so you can have your red apes and your green apes ring the bell it's the time when i complain about color identity this is another example we're finally here we're finally here almost at the end of the episode it's another example of where color identity and commander is really mucking up magic design of we get all this weird intricacy on this card that is you're right purely here to extend this guy's color identity if you could just Treat color and commander like everywhere else in magic. You wouldn't need these weird bodges. Really bugs me. Also, uh, the banana token does not actually exist as a printed card. There is no banana token. No official banana token you can get from Wizards of the Coast. There are some pretty amusing banana tokens you can find on Etsy, but um, you're not going to get them from Uh, Watson. Amusing how? Just look them up. Okay. There's an interesting blog talk where uh, somebody asked Mark Rosewater, any thoughts about Kibo Octavi Prince making banana tokens? And Mark replied just, that should be proof I don't control all design. Smiley face. Um, which is interesting. <laughs> interesting <Wow>. response. <laughs> huh. Yep. So for me, all of that adds up, even though the bananas, there's bananas in the Oracle text, there's bananas in the art. Despite all that, for me, this is an E. Like it's just above an F. I just do not like this card at a mechanical level which makes me sad, but I, it really does not do it for me. So I'm I'm not quite quite done digging wow. into the, the Kibo lore here. So Kibo is an Uktabi prince, right? Okay. Uh, which has to be a callback to Uktabi orangutan, uh, which has some of the most, at least personally iconic art uh, in the entire game of Magic. I, I am not going to endeavor to describe this on a recorded podcast, but please look up the original Uktabi orangutan. <laughs> which features some, some monkeys uh, doing some monkey things. And also features, like Gorilla Titan, some flavor text taking, taking a little bit of the piss out of the art here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I that, like the fact that Kibo is a new Tabi Prince uh, makes me wonder what Kibo's relationship is to the monkeys in Uktabi Orangutan's art. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I I have to also mention while we're while we're on it, he's definitely the card. same species. He's got the same goofy hairdo. He's certainly the same kind of monkey. So I think there must be some relationship there. And then this this story continues with Uktabi Kong, uh, which is an unhinged card uh, that is absolutely uh, poking fun at the original Uktabi orangutan <laughs> and actually Gorilla Titan at the Wait same a time. Second. We should have reviewed Uktabi Kong. Can you read his flavor text? <laughs> maybe maybe we could just add him in here. Uh, should I just read Uktabi Kong? Uh, let's just read his flavor text. Okay. It says, I desire the acquisition of a potassium-rich fruit comestible of substantial magnitude. <laughs> 
so that's, that's so dumb. That's pretty great. <laughs> That's so I, I really want to read the whole thing because the whole card is just okay, like a okay. joke. I'm not going to put it in the YouTube. Just read it out as a as a bonus here. All right. So Tabi Kong is 5GGG for an 888 from Unhinged. Keep that in mind. Silver Border. Uh, with uh, art that is clearly a sequel to Tabi Orangutan. It has Trample. When it comes into play, you destroy all artifacts. And you can tap two untapped apes you control. To put a one-one green ape creature token into play. Wait, that's not even an uncard. They could have just printed that today. That that's like half of the comments on Gatherer are saying that. <laughs> but yeah, you could just have. And actually, Uktabi he Kong has incredible aware. synergies with Octavi Prince here. Yep. Yep. That can't be an accident. Yep. Um. So okay, this Octavi Prince is moving up just a little bit for me. Yeah, I feel like Octavi Orangutan. And Uktabi Kong have to pull Kibo Uktabi Prince up a little bit. And there's actually there's there's a whole ape sub theme or theme going on in Jumpstart 2022, which is what Kibo is from, which I have to respect a little bit. Yeah, there was a there was an ape deck, an ape uh, ape Jumpstart deck, right? Oh, there you go. And Uktabi Orangutan is uh, in that. Uh, before you raid Uktabi Prince, should we just impromptu raid Uktabi Kong? Uh, well, he's he's an ass for me. No way. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, look at just just on meme value alone. All right, I'm, I'm gonna give a B for me. Austin, the the monkeys in the background are expectant parents now. <laughs> okay, fine, fine. He's an A, but I'm not going to ask. <laughs> okay, all right. Only because he's not actually showing me how big a banana he wants. Hmm. So where where does this leave you with Kibo? Now that we have the full backstory on his ancestry, <sighs> you know. This is a bit of a double standard because I rated Underworld Cookbook high for its connections back to magic lore. But I think I'm still really responding to my love of Gorilla Titan, Uktabi Orangutan, and Uktabi Kong. So I'm going to leave him at E. Wow. Okay. I'm going to give him a C because he's cute and because um, because of these these callbacks. So C, C for Kibo. <laughs> That's just confusing. Okay, let's bring it home with another ape, uh, which Kibo is actually not. Uh, Towering Gibbon, three and a G for a star four ape with reach, also from Jumpstart 2022. Towering Gibbon's power is equal to the greatest mana value among creatures you control. The flavor text says, don't worry, folks, we're perfectly safe here. That's a banana processing plant. Um, I honestly don't have a lot on Towering Gibbon. This is uh, one of those nine apes or monkeys in Jumpstart 2022 we were just talking about. In a strictly ape monkey Tribal Kibo Jumpstart 2022 deck. Towering Gibbon would top out as a 5-4 on the back Ooh. of Silverback Shaman. So not a whole lot to write home about there. So I like this guy uh, just at a mechanical level. I think because he's the opposite of Kibo and sort uh-huh. of illustrates what I what I like in magic design, which is to say, read simple, but plays in nuanced, complex ways, right? It affects your deck building decisions. It affects what you choose to cast. It affects how your opponent chooses to interact with your permanence. I like that quite a lot. As like a card, he, he's fine. He's just like a get bigger spider. Uh, it's a little funny to me that Magic has at least two takes on King Kong, right? We have this and then we have uh, Kogla. It uh, feels like one more King Kong reference than we need, but I suppose it's fine. And Uktabi Kong. Is that a King Kong reference? Is he climbing something? I don't know. He's got Kong in his name. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't really get flavor-wise why his power would get bigger as you get other big creatures. Is that because he's like a gentle giant and he needs a leader? I, I can't really figure out why that is. The, probably the reason is he's a jumpstart chaff card and nobody thought about it, but I'm still slightly puzzled by it. I, th- I think that's why why I can't fully love him because he just he has such such a chaff feel to it. I feel he's bad very chaff. saying that because he's pretty cute actually. But yeah, he's just like you know uh, a card where there's very clearly no real connection between uh, a giant monkey climbing a, a skyscraper banana processing plant and a creature whose power scales with other creatures' mana values. Well, speaking of things that are not connected, the art and the flavor text here also um, make no sense to me. I assume this is in New Capenna because of the architecture and the colors and stuff. But like, even in the land of New Capenna, I don't really think banana processing plants are like skyscrapers. The windows don't look like a banana plant. Like, it doesn't. Just from a land use perspective, I can't make sense of it. I mean, how much? How much processing of a banana would you need to be doing to uh, to need that many floors? You know, it's a great point because, I mean, I suppose if you're transforming the banana into some other use, which come to think about, I can't think of too many foods that involve transforming bananas. But if you were, maybe. But yeah, in general, bananas, as as we talked about at the start, and Connor, if I have one regret about this episode, it's I wish we'd spend a lot more time on the production and agricultural heritage of bananas. But bananas don't need processing. You pick them, you keep them cold or in in a climate environment. Uh, Well, at the grocery store, actually, you know, most grocery stores have a room that's for ripening bananas with nitrogen. And so I suppose that's kind of a processing facility, but I wouldn't call it a plant. And it doesn't require a skyscraper as far as I know. I'm glad we're getting back to the banana supply chain process. Yeah, that's really what uh, that's really what this episode is about at heart. We've come full circle. So Connor, what's what's your rating on the Gibbon? I get the impression you're you're not a huge Gibbon fan. I'm pretty low on the Gibbon. I I'm not going to go all the way down to an F. F. It's I'm not I'm not going to go all the way down to an F oh. because the Gibbon is oh. towering. It's it's too big for an F. He's also kind of too cute. Yeah, he's cute. But it's uh, it's an E for me. I mean, there's just ah. nothing nothing really interesting to me about this card. Oh, I'm a C. I like this guy. I mean, I can't go too high, but as a, just a design perspective, I think he's a he's a well-designed card if you ignore the total disconnect between effect, art, and flavor text. So that's a C. Well, when you put it that way. <laughs> Banana-wise, it's also pretty weak because it's only in the flavor text and it doesn't make any sense. So. <laughs> and even then, just barely. Uh, all right, let's go. I'll call it a C for me. Well, Connor, that is it for today's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can uh, follow it on YouTube or in your favorite podcast app. Uh, We try to release episodes every two weeks, but you know, sometimes that can get a little intermittent depending on life stuff. And if you really liked it, comment, like it, subscribe it. Everyone asks this stuff, but it it really means a lot to us. This is a pretty small show, but I I like to think it's mighty, Connor. It's it's full of quirky, potassium-full topics like bananas. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you have any thoughts to share, comment on YouTube, email us clockspinningpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts and feedback. And then Connor, before we go, I believe you're here to host a reading of the love song of night and day by Jenny Scott. Thank you, Austin. I would love to. Wrap yourself in your best bright clothes, your red and purple scarves of silk. Run with me to the festival where we will dance until sunrise. 
The dwarves will beat their funny drums of zebra skins and hollow trees, while stilt walkers perform, and the musician blows his bamboo flute. And late in the night, the poets and storytellers entertain, delight us with their dancing words as we listen, clapping by the fire. Enchant me with your tale-telling. Tell about tree, grass, river, and wind. Tell why truth must fight with falsehood, and why truth will always win. I will tell my father's stories, how the giant mantis fooled death, by holding still as a felled tree, how the elephants trampled the leopard cub, and its father, though he knew, killed nine goats instead, how pirates gambled with a gin, and lost the thing more dear than gold. Tonight we'll eat a farewell feast. Cold corn porridge is not enough. Let's peel papayas, pineapples, and mangoes, drink coconut milk, and bake bananas. We'll dine on crocodiles, wild birds, and turtles. Perhaps a hippopotamus, if only you can catch it first. I'll build a palace made of stone. Two hippo-headed guards will serve, and tigers carry in your meals. I'll capture flying zebras for your steeds, and fill the stable with every child. Thank you.